What is going on, everyone? My name is Jonathan, host here at the Venue RX podcast. And this podcast, being the Venue RX, would be very incomplete without talking to one of what I think is probably the United States' largest collection of uh, wedding venues. And so today we have Julia Henning joining us from Wedgwood Weddings. Julia, thank you so much for being here today. Oh, it's my pleasure. So Julia, you and I got a chance to meet each other at Wedding MBA here. Um, my gosh, it feels it feels like a long time ago, but I guess it was only like a month ago, <laughs> yeah. something mm-hmm. like that, um, at Wedding MBA out in Las Vegas. And um, we met out there, but we are both in Southern California, correct? Mm-hmm. We are. Awesome, awesome. We only got to talk very, very briefly. You had a presentation there, and, and that was really cool being able to patch into that for a little bit, although I didn't really get to hear too much because I was buzzing everywhere. Um, but you know, I, I, we were able to chat a little bit. I really wanted to have you on the show. So, um, I'm excited. Can you tell us though a little bit about yourself and how you got started with Wedgwood Weddings? And maybe though, before that, tell us a little bit about what Wedgwood Weddings actually is. Well, Wedgwood Weddings is a family business um, that's been around for about 35 years. Uh, It was founded by John and Linda Zaruka. And like so many other wedding venues out there, it started as a mom and pop, uh, a couple. He ran the operations. She ran the sales. um, And uh, they, you know, they kind of transformed what was a failing restaurant on a golf course by saying, you know, by transforming it into a wedding venue, you know, taking advantage of the beautiful views. Uh, And they ran that business for uh, until the early aughts. Uh, And then they brought their son Bill in and they started to grow the business and take the model that they they developed over time, um, which was specializing in weddings, specializing in all-inclusive wedding packages, uh, and then took that model and started to scale it to other venues. Um, and when I joined the business in 2010, I think we had just gotten venue number 11. Uh, and since I've been with the company, now we're at venue number 48. Wow. uh, And we'll definitely cross the 50 mark, which is a big milestone, uh, in 2022. Uh, so we've just grown and grown and grown and just found that, that, you know, our business model of affordable, all-inclusive wedding packages that really take some of the stress out of wedding planning. It's just very much spoken to the market and we've been very successful. That's huge. So I have so many questions that come and that's incredible. So you started with them 12 years ago and Mm -hmm. that is incredible growth. So I have so many questions just about that alone because it's a different company that operates 50 venues than probably operates 10, 11 venues, right? Yes, it certainly is. Uh-huh. Do you have tons more staff now? Do you, I mean, how, what are some of the major ways you've seen your company grow? Well, one of the very first things I did when I joined the company was um, uh, John, our founder and CEO at the time, wanted to bring in a call center, like a centralized contact center, so that if somebody was interested in a wedding, they had a ring on their hand and they have, you know, and a wallet ready to open and pay for that wedding, um, that we had no downtime from when they made that phone call to when we started talking to them. 
Hmm. And that was a game changer for the organization. It allowed us to just capture so many more leads and be so much more sophisticated in um, our sales and our marketing process. Uh, and I think that was one of the big leaps forward um, that we did. And, you know, there's just and then just over time, we've just you know, kind of refined, not just what we're selling, but also what kind of venue that we're looking for. We've entered into new markets and um, all the money that we've made, we've put back into the business to help grow it to the next level. That's huge. So do you, so the company started in, I think you were telling me it's before. In, in Ventura, California. Okay. Got it. So the company started there and then now your headquarters are in Temecula, California. So oh. we moved into the Temecula office maybe eight years ago. Okay. Um, and uh, we've been, that's where we're headquartered. And our now CEO, Bill Zaruka, uh, he lives there in Temecula. We have a couple of Temecula area locations, but um, that's, uh, we call it the wedge quarters. I like that. <laughs> the wedge quarters. That's very cool. Do you, but you don't really have to be, you know, there at headquarters as much because you kind of have this decentralized, like there are all these venues and they're in different yeah, states, correct? We're in all different markets and each venue has a general manager and a sales team that's dedicated to that property. Um, so although we centrally, we take in the leads and we schedule their initial consultations at these venues, once that appointment's scheduled, it's the team that's on site um, you know, that is taking it through through you know, from that initial consultation through the sales process, uh, then through the planning process, and then ultimately, um, being there with them on wedding day. That makes sense. As your, your role, vice president of sales, correct? Yeah. In your role, what are you spending your, you know, day-to-day -day responsibilities working on? Uh, there's a couple of, I mean, a little bit of everything. And then, uh, you know, I, I think, uh, like so many people in the wedding industry, I still find myself wearing a lot of different hats. Uh, but I think a lot about, you know, we have a sales force of people out there. We have about 130 people who are in a sales role within this organization. So I think a lot about them because this wedding, the wedding business is hands-on, it's personal, it's about relationships. So the questions I'm asking myself is who are they? Um, what is the type of person that we're looking for? How um, how do we find them? How do we onboard them? How do we train them? How do we keep them um, interested and excited about their jobs with ongoing development? Um, so, you know, there's that personnel aspect of it. And then I do a lot of, I'm a big nerd. There's a lot of data in my life. Um, I look at the numbers a lot. So I do all of our forecasting. How much money are we gonna make next year by venue? Um, how are we going to get there? What are our sales targets? And then communicating all of those to the team. I also manage our pricing. Um, and, um, and then there's this whole element of sales technology, right? There's mm -hmm. so many different tools out there. We've been through a couple of different versions of it. Um, and about four or five years ago, we decided we like went all in and did a custom implementation of Salesforce, which mm. is something for, if you're just like an individual venue operator, it's probably not for you, but for somebody of our size, we needed something, you know, big that could support our growth as we go from, you know, because the goal isn't to stop at 50. We want to be 75. We want to be a hundred different venues. Um, and we needed a really sophisticated tool. So putting that together, implementing that, rolling that out, that was a big focus of the last couple of years. Um, and then, you know, having a really good uh, plan for when we transition and take on new venues, making sure that we do that 
in the best way possible. Yeah, I was going to ask about that because each one of these venues, are you are you going in and buying them? Is Wedgwood? Well, we don't own the asset <clears throat> okay. anywhere, so we don't own the physical land. All of our venues, we have a long-term lease. Hmm. Um, so, you know, 15, 20, 25-year leases, and sometimes we will go longer than that, um, just depending uh, on the deal. So uh, how we get those venues is like they're all a little bit different. You know, some of them we will submit to a request for proposal, like from a government agency or, um, you know, we uh, – so we run three venues for – the Presidio in San Francisco, which is a government-owned property, um, so we applied essentially for that and did, you know, I don't know, an audition, <laughs> uh, and um, you know, did a presentation for them. Uh, and then sometimes we buy a business uh, from that's existing that's been successful. So you know, there was a venue in the um, in the Phoenix market where they've been running really well as a husband and wife team, and they were ready to retire. Uh, and Wedgwood is able to come in and purchase their business. Um, so it just, there's kind of like a wide variety of different um, ways that we acquire these venues. Got it. That's very cool. It makes sense then the Salesforce collaboration or, or implementation that you use there because you really have to have a centralized space, it sounds like, to collect leads. Yeah, and exactly. So, I mean, it takes it from um, WebFill all the way down um, through the accounting. Um, so the Salesforce supports every single element of that. With such a number of venues that you're able to offer someone, if they call into Wedgwood, let's say that their date is booked, because obviously date availability is huge, and we've seen that in the last year, you know, yeah. and even this coming year, are you able to help kind of redirect them in case they settle on a date that is not available at the current property that they're inquiring on? I, I will. I mean, my goal is if they call into our centralized call center, uh, if they're looking in one region, I want to set them up with appointments as many of our locations as I can. Hmm. Okay. Um, so uh, they will see a couple of them. But I'm going to tell you something crazy about date availability uh, is that I won't quote date availability at our call center. Interesting. Okay. I try to um, avoid the date. I, I, we teach our people to try to avoid the date conversation until they're um, on property. Huh. Uh, I think, you know, it's, it's wild. Like you start planning your wedding and the first question that everybody asks you is what's your date? What's your date? What's your date? Uh, and ultimately, and people are weird about numbers and dates and they get something in their head and they've decided that that's their date. And I think that is a backwards way to pick your venue. I think that the, if I could advise a person who is out there shopping for their wedding, I would say, pick the venue that you want that has the experience that you want, that has the people that you like, that has the price point that works for you, and then pick the date that they have open, right? That's of the one that you want. Don't go in the reverse order or you're cutting yourself off from probably the perfect venue. Hmm. Uh, you know, all within reason. Uh, so uh, my call sign won't um, quote a date uh, and uh, we try to get people to property and fall in love with that venue. Uh, there's gonna, there are a, occasionally some, some people who are just super insistent. They must know the date. We got to know the date. date. But, yeah. Um, I, uh, we don't ask the question, what's your date? Uh, <laughs> I tell, I train my salespeople. I'm like, that question should feel as uncomfortable to you as how much do you weigh? Yeah. Right. Like, you know, like I don't want you asking that question. If they bring it up, then we will, we have a lot of talk, uh, you know, sales techniques and things that we talk about, about how to reckon with that question. 
um, and so that we can try to sell people on what it is that we have to offer and the, the solution to the problem that they have um, before we get into a whole uh, you know, quagmire about day checking. That's really interesting because I think that in just the wedding industry as a whole, you that's kind of the central point that everyone sits on, like what date and do you have the yep. date available? But that makes more sense for someone who's maybe a solopreneur or maybe a photographer who has a couple shooters that work with them, who's only able right. to satisfy a few dates. Whereas with you guys, you may have multiple properties in one location. And so, yeah, it would be kind of short-sighted to just camp out on the date. I just also can't tell you, I mean, look, if you're a florist, if you're a DJ, if you're any of the other downstream um, uh, vendors, uh, yes, they they already booked a date, right? And so you're, you're locked into their date. And the question of date availability, you might as well just address that immediately. But when you're a venue, they're the first decision that they're making. I mean, <laughs> other than the ring, uh, and the decision to get married in the first place. But picking that venue is like, that's the first big decision point. Um, so they are more flexible often than they think they are. Mm -hmm. I think in general, when you're um, selling weddings, when you're thinking about the wedding sales process, you're dealing with an inexpert buyer, right? They've never bought this before. They don't know what the different components are. They don't know how much it should cost. Um, a lot of what they've read out there uh, in, you know, the media is telling them that the wedding industry is this, like, everybody's just trying to take their money <laughs> and that we're a smarmy bunch, which I think is so untrue and I'm so offended by that. <laughs> and, um, you know, so I think that they come to us really, like, scared and looking for direction. And I just can't tell you how many times we have this gorgeous venue in Temecula, California called Galway Downs. And it is, I mean, it's a real knockout. It's a beauty. Uh, I can't tell you how many times people who really believed that they needed that Saturday in October um, come in and uh, see the venue and are perfectly fine with, with, with booking a Thursday in July, right? Because they can, that's what we had open. That's what we have, you know, that's what we can get them a cheaper price on. And they suddenly the date is not the number one issue. So I think when you lead with date and you allow the client to lead with date, you make that into a bigger issue than it should be. Mm. So I just try to avoid it. That makes a lot of sense. When you're talking about the priorities, because really we're talking about priorities here, like some people yes. are prioritizing date. And like you said, the decision to get married, the ring, some of those things are kind of priorities that are, you know, first, and then you've got these secondary priorities that could be, you know, other things, but you're really saying the date should be a secondary priority because you yes. want to fall in love with the actual venue. That makes so much sense. And, and I encourage and train my salespeople to ask direct questions about priorities. I, they will ask, well, what is more important to you? The date that you get married on or the venue that you get married at? And by asking that type of a question, it then puts it into the hands of like, because it's an inexperienced buyer, they might for the first time think like, you know what? The date is less important. Mm. I actually don't care that much about the date. That's, uh, or you will have the quest, the like, what's more important to you, getting married on a Saturday or staying within that budget that you just told me. Mm. And oftentimes when you start to dig in with them and ask them questions like that, um, that it will get people to start thinking and consider and they'll start to tell you their priorities. There are people for whom the date is the most important thing. 
Mm. Um, and then you can address their needs. And there are people for whom the budget's the most important thing. And you can massage them into a, t a time of year or a date that you have more flexibility on pricing with. Um, but, uh, you know, if you're not having those direct conversations with people or if you're letting them just like look on your website to see what dates you have open um, and X you out before you even had a conversation with them, I think you're denying yourself the opportunity for the sale and you're also denying them the opportunity to find the right venue for themselves. Mm, that makes so much sense. When you... You're, so we're going back, talking about these priorities, talking about some of the questions. You operate solely exclusive. Um, it's a, like an inclusive, sorry, venue. So like yeah. food, what is all included in your inclusive? What, what's the inclusion? Well, we have four different packages. They all include food. Um, some of them also include a hosted bar. Uh, and then as you go up through the packages, there's more. Uh, so our top package, it has DJ, invitations, floral centerpieces, linens. Uh, it has some of the extras like a photo booth. We do the flameless sparklers, so, you know, uh, all sorts of different things. But the cake, flowers, DJ, those are kind of the big ticket items that we're including. Um, none of our packages include photography, but we do work with photographers and we can add on a floral package. Uh, most of our venues, we don't allow outside catering. There are a few exceptions where we do, just kind of depending on the individual market. So we handle all the catering. Do you find that that is a, an objection that is frequently brought up? Like when you're touring somebody, oh, yeah. let's say, people are kind of like, oh, I want a Hawaiian, you know, or my, my favorite taco restaurant growing up or whatever, like those things that I've heard before. Yeah, I, I got my start in... Um, the hospitality industry doing outside catering. I actually got my start in the kitchen um, and I've worked outside catering. I think that, yes, it comes up frequently. People start with this idea of um, that they have something specific in mind, but more often than not, people are trying to save a buck mm -hmm. and they think that if they go to their favorite restaurant that's not that expensive, um, that they're gonna be able to actually save money. Uh, and they are wrong, 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 wrong. Like it is harder and more expensive to make food over here, to pack it up and then to bring it over here and then to finish it off and serve it to people than it is to take it out of the kitchen in the back and bring it out. Mm. Um, that is offsite catering is much harder uh, and it's harder to control quality. It's It can and should be more expensive than an in-house caterer. So I don't know, we try to tease out what, what it is that you're looking for, right? Is it just that you want the food to be good and you know this place is good? Is We can address that objection that way. Is it that you have something very specific in mind? Uh, is it that, you know, and then we can kind of manage the objection depending on what it is. But if somebody really does want um, an outside catered experience, then we just might not be the right fit for them. Hmm. Do you find that, uh, how, how, I guess I, I should ask, how do you have your salespeople address that? Because that's kind of an interesting. Uh, that is something <clears throat> I do try to flesh out early in the sales process. Okay. So that is something that they will actually talk about at the centralized call center. Got it. Oh, just to determine right away, is this couple yeah, we, a fit for us or not? This is an in-house caterer. Because I think a lot of, um, uh, uh, you know, brides and grooms and couples, as they start planning, they they aren't even realizing that there are venues that do 
all-inclusive. There's venues that do food and beverage. There's venues that are just a shell rental. They don't know that there's all these different permutations of what we offer in the industry. Um, so we try to do that kind of education up front. Because if, if what you really want is just a shell and then you're going to rent everything and bring it all in, then an all-inclusive experience isn't quite right for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'll try to redirect them um, right there. Julia, have you seen um, a a shift at all in kind of what, cause obviously you have, you've seen, you've been in this industry a long time, you know, you yeah. are across your, you know, the company that you're with is across so many different venues and so many different States. It sounds like as well. Are you in, so you mentioned Phoenix, obviously California. We're in, our, we have a couple our biggest clusters are in Northern and Southern California. Okay. And then we have um, Colorado in around Denver. Okay. Um, and then a few outside of Denver. Uh, then we have a, a cluster in Phoenix and, um, and then we have a couple of, uh, we have one in, in Las Vegas, we have one in Texas and we have one in New Hampshire and oh, uh, trying cool. to grow those markets too. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. So you're, you're spread across many markets, you know, over a decade in this, have you seen people be more interested, um, in all inclusive packages versus not like, have you seen something that you feel would be palatable over, or palpable over um, the time that you've been working, like maybe people before weren't as interested in all inclusives. Cause I remember me just, you know, the staffing company that we ran, um, you know, just when we started our business, it was like the all inclusives were beginning to kind of be not cool. Like the ballroom feel was beginning to be like yeah. not cool. And then I think that maybe some all inclusive stuff has really like come back because of the simplicity, right? Yes. So have you felt a shift at all? I, you know, I think that there, we're always kind of fighting against this idea that all inclusive means, um, that it's cookie cutter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's still an objection that comes up. I would argue that that is not true because I've been to a lot of different weddings at Westwood weddings venues and they are all very different from each other. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that the all inclusive thing has become, there's definitely been a trend away from like a sterile ballroom and um, the golf course venues mm-hmm. uh, that were very popular right when I first started with the company. Um, but those have been waning in popularity and people want a different feel from the venue itself. Uh, one thing that's become over the last you know 10 or so years is that um, changing rooms for the couple have become a much bigger deal. When I started with business 10 years ago, it was like, oh great, there's a place for me to put on my dress. But with the uh, dawn of the Pinterest followed by the Instagram of it all, this like moment where you're hanging out and in matching robes and all this being heavily photographed, like that has become more important. So I think more of a trend in the actual types of venues and venue experiences that people want. I think that the all-inclusive packages always had the, you know, always had a following. And I I think especially, you know, one of the major trends in our industry in general over the past 20, 30 years is that people are getting married older and older. Mm -hmm. The average age of first marriage is now late 20s. That's a major cultural shift within the United States of America. Um, People are already living together. Um, and because they're at a later and some already have children and because they're at a later point in their life, like they're busy, right? You have a job and you have things to do and you don't really have the, the, I, there are still people who, you know, straight out of college, 
with no job, they and their mom plan their wedding, right? That, but that is a edge case at this point. Uh, it's people full force in their lives that don't have time to interview five different cake bakers and go and talk to six different DJs and go through this whole rigmarole for all the different vendors um, that we would include in one of our package. So our deal kind of really appeals to that type of of person. And I think even if as a venue, you aren't ready to start including all that type of stuff within your own packages, I think that's a good thing to just know is that that's that that's what the client out there needs is that sort of support they need, uh, you know, and you can do that through your vendor lists and your recommendations to help guide them and make it a less insane process for them. As I think there are some people who have either the budget for a high-end wedding planner or they have the time to do or and desire to do all, all of that research, but not the average person that's coming and getting married, right? They're busy. <clears throat> so from your perspective then, would Wedgwood really be capturing the middle of the market? Because someone on Absolutely. the lower end of the market, right, would just kind of be trying to but like you said, someone straight out of college, just planning it with their mom, they're likely going to go with a blank canvas venue that they can do that at. Right. Okay. Uh, I think uh, we, you know, I think the, the middle of the market is pretty broad, um, but, and we definitely have some venues in some markets that are a little more towards the high end, mm. but we don't go after the, um, you know, that very small niche market of super uh, high end weddings, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I think our average weddings are depending on the venue could be anywhere between fifteen thousand dollars and twenty five thousand dollars oh wow um so, so that's pretty affordable with us yeah so okay. definitely affordable and i think that like just going to the wedding mba talking to different people in the industry i think many of us are in that boat and if you look at statistics like that's where the market is right if the majority of people are going to be spending in that type of range for um, their wedding. Uh, and that's where the volume is. And I think that's, you know, so we are in that market on purpose. Got it. Um, the, uh, that super high end market is very competitive and there's just not that many brides and grooms out there spending that kind of money. Very true. That makes sense from, um, like I said, even my own experience, like you said, talking to people at wedding MBA, people are spending kind of in that $20,000 range. So if you're able to provide a package that really encapsulates a lot of those essential elements, what um, do you have a sense of like what people are really all in at across the board? Because I know you said 15 to 25 was kind of the range you just gave. Yeah. Are people what do people have to spend outside of that? I mean, obviously, it doesn't include the ring, um, you know, some of those. I mean, that's the middle range. We can do less and we can do more. Um, but I would say that that it just that kind of varies by market. I, I think that, you know, you see, you hear that average of wedding in America is $32,000. You know, that number kind of jumps around depending on who you're reading. Um, and, uh, but that's not the median. I think the median is in that 15 to 20 range of what people are spending. Um, so well, I, you know, I, I was going to ask, <clears throat> where do you find yourself getting some of this information? Because I know even in my own research, it's like you can look at these different blogs and different things, but they all seem kind of skewed one direction or another. Um, there is a great resource um, that I'm obsessed with called The Wedding Report. Okay. And Shane actually spoke, who, who runs it, uh, actually spoke at Wedding MBA on the last day. Um, and it is, you know, because um, the, 
Wedding Wire and the Knot Business Pro, um, Wedding Pro program offers a lot of great data for the industry. And that's good, like, and they'll put it in a really easy to read palatable way. Mm -hmm. um, but it's all survey data. And uh, at the Wedding Report, um, that it is a, a, a data nerd. <laughs> it's wedding information by a data nerd. Uh, so, like, he has taken survey data, he's taken uh, population data, um, travel data, and all these different sources and combine them into this really easy to read tool that you can type in your own um, zip code. You can look at zip code, you can look at market, uh, and um, give you a sense of what people are spending, what people are spending in that individual market, how their spend goes across the different, um, you know, venue versus catering versus cake versus all the different elements of our business. I really, I can't recommend this tool enough. And it's also incredibly affordable. That's awesome. So okay. When I need like a gut check and I also, and I've got 50 venues, I have tons of data. I too am a nerd. Um, I can look in, in our own, um, history and uh, kind of make some projections about what I anticipate people to spend or, you know, how we should arrange our pricing or, you know, what um, potential there is to add on you know, other products. Um, but if I need a gut check, I go to the wedding report to kind of, or if I'm looking at a new venue to see, make sure it's in a market that's going to support us. Well, I'll go there to see what is, what us, how many other venues are in that market what, what are they collecting? They'll do like number of weddings per venue, uh, all, all that information. Yeah. So I was going to ask, does that sort of information help drive where you're thinking about the next venues? And it sounds like it totally does. So a, a question about that also, when you're looking at, let's say United States, the United States as a whole, right? And you're looking at some of those markets that you've are, you're already in, New Hampshire, uh, Texas, Colorado, Phoenix, as you look at the markets, do you feel like there are markets that are saturated or do you feel like there's really enough weddings to go around for everybody? Uh, there's absolutely markets that are saturated um, and there's markets that are easier and harder to get into. I think, you know, I think that we are looking for a certain density of people to make sure that there's enough people within a given region. Um, we're also looking at kind of income and making sure like we're not looking for the wealthiest. We, we want that kind of like that income that's going to fit with our uh, target market of that, you know, sort of middle of the market. Um, and um, so it's not like we're just going to put venues in Beverly Hills. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're kind of looking at different neighborhoods and then, <clears throat> you know, the actual venue itself, uh, because if the venue is the best venue in its region, it just doesn't even really matter what the concentration of other venues are. Um, and then, you know, it takes it takes a while to really understand a new market. Um, so if if I was just to, to be looking for my own to open my own wedding venue, I would make sure it was in a market that I really understood. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when we first started in Phoenix, uh, we uh, started in the West Valley. And if you look at Phoenix on a map, you're like, that's a 20 minute drive. Um, and in Southern California, a 20 minute drive is nothing, mm -hmm. but in Phoenix, a 20 minute drive is a big deal. <laughs> People don't want to go there. Like if it's 20 minutes in the wrong direction, they don't want to go there. So we ended up getting more and more towards the East. Um, but you know, we kind of stubbed our toe on that first, first venue, just not being, uh, as much of a draw as that, as we hoped it would. That makes sense. That's such an interesting 
perspective because you're right in California, you know, I lived in Texas for a while and I remember, yeah, <clears throat> 20, 30 minutes, kind of, it's kind of a long way, you know, like mm -hmm. you, you were going to go to a couple times, I mean, 30 minutes, we, I, we were, I was born in Fort Worth. You could be in Arlington, you could be in Dallas, you could be in, you know, Fort Worth, like the whole Tri-City area, you could be around quite a bit. Here, 30 minutes is where I live, you know, in North County, San Diego to Temecula. Yeah. yeah. It's close. Yeah. Uh, so just the tolerance to drive is very different in Southern California. I, you know, it just kind of varies by, by the individual markets and then different markets want different things and it's all a little bit different. So Julia, have you, does Wedgwood ever build venues or are you typically purchasing either existing businesses or properties with already existing structures on them? We're not typically building from scratch, but okay. we have been involved in some like really major um, projects that have inquired, that, that have involved a build out. Um, so we partnered with the University of Irvine um, and they had, you know, kind of a dilapidated building that was, um, you know, a club that was uh, on like a, a alumni faculty club that was on on property, and so we worked with them to completely renovate, like down to the studs renovation. So that's not a build out exactly. Um, so we aren't really building generally building things out, but we we will do major renovations. It just kind of depends on the deal. Got it. When you when you look at people who are going out there and building wedding venues in today's environment. Um, you know, I think a lot of people in 2020, you know, with COVID and everything, and then, you know, here in 2021, 2022 coming up, um, you know, think that maybe, oh, this is a great time. You know, when any big shift like this happens, you know, people both get out of industries and they get into yeah. industries. So are you seeing a lot of movement and interest in your platform as far as a, a management, um, platform, I guess, for venues, for people who maybe are get, looking to get out because last year was really tough? I think, I think that we did see some people not make it. Hmm. Like there are definitely some businesses that didn't make it. Through. I mean, 2020 was a bloodbath. Yeah. Um, and it hurt and it not just hurt financially, but it was so stressful um, for everybody who was in our business. Like just, I mean, everybody got yelled at more. <laughs> and there's a certain amount of getting yelled at that is just comes with being in this business as if people are um, emotional with about their weddings. But 2020 was uh, just uh, our teams are just very beaten down. So I think a lot of people exited the industry um, and I haven't seen a huge surge of new venues um, out there. Um, but I would just like. I don't know, we're in a surge of sales right now, right? There's a lot of pent up demand that is happening now, depending on your market, it may continue well into 2022, may even spill over into 2023. But I would caution against like setting your expectations on utilization of your key dates and your revenue based on what's gonna happen this year would be one, one thing. Um, just be, and, just because yeah. our, maybe it will kind of be this like false fake environment that's been created by this surge that's happening. Yeah. All okay. the people who got who weren't able to get married in 2020, you know, you had a lot of people reschedule into 2021 and then you had a lot of people who were waiting. And so we have a busier 
across all of our venues, we have a busier Q1 of 2022 than we've ever had before. It is going to be busy. Uh, and then that's kind of following into the rest of the year. And I think we'll look up 2023, but at some point you just won't have that forever. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's depressing, but you have to realize that like marriage rates are dropping. Mm-hmm. That That is a macro trend that isn't this year, it isn't five years, it's probably not even 15 years. But you aren't gonna see huge swaths of people getting married like you do right now. Um, and I think you just have to be prepared uh, that um, don't expect your 2022 numbers to carry over into 2023. That That's an interesting reflection. And especially for you guys, I think, who seem very exposed to that possibly across a bunch of different markets. How is Wedgwood kind of positioning and preparing uh, to take that into account? I think that, uh, you know, just uh, just doing when I was um, trying to working through some of the numbers, my, you know, estimations for what will probably end up at 2023, I did just kind of reduce what I think the number of weddings are going to be across different venues. Um, and we've made some major changes in price. Mm. I think that if there's anything that I can advise wedding venues to do right now is take another look at your pricing. Uh, because we sell things six months, nine months, um, two years in advance sometimes. And all of us price things very differently. We all have different pricing structure. We price things by year, so there's a 2022 price and there's a 2023 price, and we just read it all of our 2023 prices, and they're on they're all higher. Um, and uh, we've made a, mon- a bunch of different changes, and we're going to look at all of our different SKUs of what we sell and make sure that they're priced appropriately, uh, because inflation is real. Um, it's uh, definitely a threat, and um, could you write something at the bottom of your price sheet that says subject to change? Sure. But are you going to be calling up the couple to say, <laughs> hey, um, these are more expensive now, so I'm going to charge you more. You go ahead and have that conversation. I'm not going to subject any of my people to that. So uh, I think we're making those those price shifts. Uh, and I think it's just something to be cognizant of and aware of. Um, and, uh, you know, I think in general, that you have to kind of understand what the threats are in any sort of business decision. And I think that a shrinking market is certainly a threat. But, you know, the nice thing about being in the wedding industry is that people still get married, mm-hmm. right? Their weddings and marriage, it, it's very essential to human culture. It's been around for thousands of years, right? Uh, it's, it's important um, it's a bringing together of the community, like, like so many people in the wedding industry, like I, I feel that, um, I, I connect emotionally to this business. Like I think that, that being a part of people's marriages and their weddings is, is a very special place to be. Um, and I think that that will continue, uh, you know, even if it's done, each, even if each generation kind of ta- does their own take on it and does it in a different way. And the upcoming generation is just, just not um, as, uh, they're not as traditional as previous generations. And I think we just need to be able to pivot and solve their problems uh, and that there's still a place for our business. So it's just not going to be like it is, in, <laughs> it, you know, this, the last couple of years have just been bananas, right? 
unprecedented pandemic, and now we're still in unprecedented times. So you just can't fit, decide, set your mold now. You know, just have to have that flexibility and um, be looking out there in the environment and being able to pivot quickly and make changes mm-hmm. as they come along. <clears throat> that's that's really well said. I think that. Um, there is definitely a point to be made that the upcoming generation, you know, there will be a divide between those who really, really value the religious ceremonies and kind of that side of things. And weddings will very much be a part of that outside of even cultural reasons, just for the religious reason of it. But then I think that there could be kind of an interesting trend towards people having a celebration of you know, being together or something like that, that doesn't necessarily have to do, because it is cultural, like you said, like it's, it's a gathering of the community. It's where people reconnect, families get together. It's almost like a mini family reunion a lot of times. So, um, very interesting. Well, well, uh, Julia, thank you. I really appreciate you coming on here and chatting about this. It is certainly unprecedented times that we're in right now. And you, um, definitely are kind of at the tip of the spear of this. So I really, really appreciate it. If you, if any of our listeners are interested in Wedgwood Weddings and want to learn more about you guys, what you have to offer, um, where is the best place to find you? Uh, definitely our website, which is wedgwoodweddings.com. Um, and, uh, you know, I think if you, if any of your listeners are a venue owner, um, who are interested in the possibility of um, retirement <laughs> and have a great venue, like we'd love to talk to you. Uh, and then also like one of the biggest crunches that we're all experiencing right now in the wedding industry is hiring. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we are hiring um, and we are, the last year has really kind of um, forced us to look in the mirror and make sure that we are as attractive to the people that we're hiring as we are to our clients booking their weddings and really proud of what we've put together for our employees. Um, so uh, if any of your listeners are looking for a job. I like it. Jo- a job um, or a, a wedding. Either way, you have something to offer everyone. I love it. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Well, Julia, thanks for coming on the show today. And we'll uh, leave those links in the descriptions below if you're watching on YouTube. And if you're on the podcast, you should definitely go check out our YouTube. And yeah, we'll see you guys in the next episode.